must admit I feel totally unqualified to uh, speak on the, uh, the grace, the fruit of the Spirit called patience. Coming here this morning, I was behind a tractor all the way from Olcoats right through to Hellaby. And I'm here to stand before you and preach about patience. Thank God it's a fruit of the Spirit. But uh, by God's grace, we'll all shine for Jesus with this fruit. Shall we just bow our heads in prayer? Father in heaven, we do know that as we come before you, we are full of sin. Father, there are actions and deeds and thoughts and speech, Father, that are not pleasing to yourself. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, your grace, and Lord, for these next moments, we ask that you would minister to us. Father, you know our individual needs, you know our difficulties, you know our circumstances, but Father, we come to a God of grace. Oh, Father, we ask that your spirit would be amongst us, for we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. So if you turn in your Bibles to Galatians, the book of Galatians, it's the first epistle of the Apostle Paul. It's a lovely letter, and we're turning to chapter 5, and we'll just read those first, uh, those, uh, those few verses, 22 and 23. So that's Galatians chapter 5. I can't help you with the page number. If I did, it'd be the wrong page. Perhaps Ian can. 1117. 1117. 1172. 1172. We're going to talk about this later on, so it's very good. 1172, all right? I thought Richard did really well remember them, remembering them all, but we'll just run through them so you know where they are in the Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. Now as Christians and as students of the Bible, we need to be very clear and astute in our thinking. In fact, when it comes to reading the Bible, we have to be, at times, very precise. And the text that we're looking at this morning, we need to have this habit and this controlling our thinking. We need to think clearly and accurately. Now, the Apostle Paul was writing this letter for a particular reason. The church in Galatia was in danger. It was going astray. In fact, they were in a very, very precarious position. And the Apostle Paul holds nothing back when he writes this letter. And if we were to start at the beginning, you would find there's no, how are you doing? Is everything all right? He's straight in there when he writes the letter with a word of rebuke. You see, there was a problem with the church. And this church in Galatia was beginning to accept another gospel. And they were falling short. And they were accepting a gospel that was Jesus Christ, yes, everything about Christ and all that he'd done, but they were adding to the merits of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't just Christ alone for salvation, trusting in him 
and his work and all that he's accomplished, but it was trusting in Christ and works. So they said the way of salvation is Christ and being good, by being circumcised, by following the law of Moses. And the Apostle Paul knew that this was wrong. And when you turn to the first chapter, you find that he goes straight for the jugular. He goes for them, all right, in a pastoral, concerned way. Listen to what he says in chapter 1 and verse 8. But even if we, he's talking about himself as an apostle, a minister, or an angel, an angel from heaven being in the presence of God, preach any other gospel to you than what you have received let him be accursed. Understand what the Apostle Paul is saying? If somebody comes to you, whether it's me, whether it's Peter, John, or anybody else who's lived with Jesus and knows his teaching, or it's an angel, and they preach to you another gospel, a gospel of Jesus Christ and works, the Apostle Paul says, let him be accursed. A curse, an abomination. An abhorrence. Now that's very strong language. Very strong language. Because the Apostle Paul knew, accept another gospel and you haven't got salvation. You are not right with Christ. You are not living the way that he would want you to live. Now you might, may ask, why is that important for the text that we're looking at this morning in chapter 5 and verse 22 when we're looking at this great grace patience well, let me tell you it has everything to do with it in this book, in this letter to the church in Galatia the apostle Paul mentions the Holy Spirit more times than he does salvation or justification or forgiveness, or another big word, redemption. In fact, you could say that this letter here is a book, a letter, an epistle, about the Holy Spirit. He's writing to them about the truth with regards, not just salvation, and the way to be right with God, but also the Holy Spirit. And that's very important because the Holy Spirit follows the Gospel. In other words, when we have the Gospel, we have the Holy Spirit. They come together. In other words, we can't understand the Gospel without the aid of the Holy Spirit. We need God's Spirit to understand. Now, if we have Christ and works, which is a different Gospel, do we have the Holy Spirit? The Apostle Paul is saying quite plainly to them, no. The Holy Spirit is not, not one to bless the gospel and works. And this is his great, great argument in this letter. And we must remember that the work of the Holy Spirit is a special work. It's an honourable work. And his work is not to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to to Christ, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to what he has done. And this text here this morning draws attention to Christ and to the Holy Spirit. 
Now I don't want to be a person who uh, buries my head in the sand. Christians do possess patience. But also non-Christians possess patience. But there's a fundamental difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. And the Christian is a person who's been washed by the blood of Christ. They've been made clean. They've been, made, they've been sanctified. They've been set, separate, set apart. They've been justified. So if anybody was to condemn them with the law of God, God says, no, they're declared righteous because of all that Christ has done. And it's all done in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a difference. The standing, the relationship between a believer and a non-believer is completely different. Why does a Christian possess patience? They possess patience because they are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says in great detail, he goes to great lengths to tell the Christians that when Christ died, they died. When Christ uh, rose from the dead, they rose from the dead. Now this is important teaching because the Apostle Paul is telling us that a Christian is now not in Adam. Now that's again, it might seem a little bit complicated. Not in sin, not in rebellion. But now a Christian is in Christ Jesus. They are united to him. And obviously we know that we have a relationship to him and with him. So the, the source of this blessing comes because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now if we were to turn in our Bibles to John chapter 15, you can read that, you can read it this afternoon. In fact, you might have already studied it, John chapter 15. A lovely passage, because Jesus teaches us, or teaches the disciples and ourselves, that we, and he gives an illustration, a horticultural, or a, I can't remember the precise word, but I think it's something to do with vital take culture or something. Somebody will correct me afterwards. But it's to do with growing grapes in a vineyard. Viticulture or something. Viniculture. I should know it because we've just come back from France. But it was in French so I didn't quite understand the, uh, the English word. But it's Jesus who teaches us in that passage that we bear fruit as Christians, as branches, because we are united and linked to the vine. To Jesus Christ. Why is it a Christian in their lives bears fruit, bears this fruit of patience? It is because they are united to Jesus Christ. Now, the second area of difference between a, a believer having patience and a non believer is that this fruit, patience, will be manifested. It will be manifested. Remember, again, in that passage when Jesus talks about the vine and the branches, if there's something growing on a vine all right, that's not producing fruit, what does the farmer do? What does the vine dresser do? Goes along and prunes, gets rid of it. If there are areas of our lives that are not producing, what does God, by his goodness, and it is goodness, he comes along and he gets the secateurs out and he cuts it off. 
The fruit, this fruit, the great gardener wants you to produce patience. Alright? When he looks upon you, his objective, his care upon you is patience. So it won't be hidden because you are united with Christ. And the third thing about this fruit is that when we possess patience, when it is evident in our lives, it's not so that we can stand on a pedestal and say, look at me. Look how great I am. I possess this great characteristic of patience, this great virtue. No. We possess it to give glory to God. And this is the objective of this fruit, to give glory to God. Now, I know again I want, you to, I want to be real. I don't want to uh, say I hide my head in the sand. There are some, sadly, I must confess, yes, I'm one of them, and uh, they don't possess patience. Some Christians don't possess this virtue, this grace. And this fruit, any of these fruits, can be displayed upon a Christian and it could be stunted, be rotten, grubby diseased, deformed. Why is this the case? If they're united with Christ, they have this relationship with him, their standing has changed, they're no longer condemned, why is it that still some of these graces are not evident in the life of a believer? When you look at your own life, why is it I don't possess what is necessary to give glory to God? Well, the Bible clearly teaches us, and we know this for ourselves, Christians are still works in progress. God has not finished with us. You know, tomorrow you could go down to B&Q, buy a packet of seeds, whatever seed you like. I could guarantee you the next day you will not see fruit. Some fruit will appear in a week, two weeks, three weeks. Some, it'll be one year, two years. It takes a long time for some fruit to appear. Christians are works in progress. Now when we look at this word patience, I want us to look at three things the Bible teaches us about patience. First one is that God demonstrates great patience. The second thing is that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, demonstrates great patience. And then thirdly and lastly, Christians are to demonstrate great patience. So let's look at the first one. God is a God who demonstrates great patience. The Bible, throughout the Bible, it teaches us that God is a God who is patient. Now, Sometimes the word patience is not used. It's sometimes the word long-suffering. God is a God who suffers long. Thank goodness he is a God who suffers long. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, God spoke to Moses. And one of the things that God said to Moses about himself was, I am a long-suffering God. And history tells us that God is a God who is patient. He's patient with mankind and he's patient with ourselves. Think of the rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, what do you think of? It's pretty, yes. 
There's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Is that what you think? It's possible. But remember, there's a story behind the rainbow. God created Adam and Eve. He created them perfect. They rebelled in the garden. God banished them from the garden. They multiplied. Lots of men and women, boys and girls, were on the face of the earth. God looked down upon them and what did he see? He saw great wickedness. Man loved wickedness. Mankind enjoyed being rebellious against God. So what did God say? What did God do? He decided that I, he said, I will destroy them. So what does God do to destroy them? He raises up a man called Noah. And for 120 years, Noah preaches about righteousness. And as he's building an ark, he's preaching. He's telling the people, God's going to send a flood. For 120 years, when God made the decisions, I'm going to destroy these people. He's patient. He's a God of patience with these people. When you think of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt... God delivered them by a mighty, powerful hand. They saw his miraculous works. And previous to that, they'd heard through Moses, through the prophets, that God was going to allow them to be in that land for about 400 years. What do they do when they uh, escape from Egypt, when they see the, the miracle of crossing the Red Sea, the, the waters dividing and they're able to cross over on, on dry ground. What do they do from that moment on? They begin to grumble and to moan. And then spies go into Cana. What's the outcome of the, of, the, of the event when the spies go in? Well, ten spies, when they see the promised land, promised to them, to, to Abraham and his descendants, what do they do? Ten of them say, no, it's not for us. And God is a God who is patient with these people. Later on in the history of the people of Israel, God is patient with them. You can read in your Old Testament repeated incidents where kings are raised up and what do they do? They worship Baal. They sacrifice to this false God. God had made a covenant with these people and the covenant was be my people. But let's bring it right up to date. Why hasn't Jesus Christ returned? Why hasn't God said, now's the time? Now's the time for Jesus to return. Why hasn't that event occurred when the sheep will be separated from the goats? Or the tares, the weeds from the wheat? Because God is a patient God. The second thing that the Bible teaches us is not only God is a God who is patient and patient with mankind and patient with sinners, <coughs> it also teaches us that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, demonstrates great patience. Jesus is a patient saviour. Now when was Jesus patient? Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel you'll find that he was patient with his disciples. 
Luke's Gospel. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. All right, Dr. Luke, we often refer to him. If you turn to chapter 9 and verse 21, you will see that Jesus repeated himself. All right, great teachers repeat themselves because we're always slow of learning. In chapter 9, verses 21 to 22, well, 22, Jesus tells them something that's going to happen. In verse 21, he says, And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. What's he going to tell them? All right, I've got a secret for you. Don't say anything. Saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. This is what he tells them. What else does he tell them? Well, he tells them the same thing later on. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 43 and 45. He's telling them what's going to happen to him in the future. Chapter 9, verse 43 and 45. And they were all amazed. Amazed at what? His great acts and his miracles. At the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled, oh, what a great, incredible what's been happening. At all these things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. Can you get, can you get the picture, kids? Have you ever heard mum and dad say, now listen, and listen carefully. This is what Jesus is saying. Saying to his disciples, listen and listen carefully. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. How many times has Jesus said this now to his disciples? Twice. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Just a few pages further forward. Luke chapter 18, verse 31 and 34. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, so that's Luke chapter 18, verses 31. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. The time is getting nearer. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. On three occasions Jesus tells the disciples what's going to happen to him. They didn't understand they were confused. They, they, they were perplexed. If they understood what was going to happen to him and these words that Jesus had spoken, they would not have deserted him at his trial. He was patient with them. On the road to Emmaus, when there was Cleopas and the other disciple, they were downcast and discouraged. The king has come, Christ has come, his kingdom has come, but it's gone. He's gone away. And what does he do? He opens the Old Testament scriptures to explain to them what it was all about. Slow of understanding. He was patient with them. Again, have you ever thought, have I ever thought how patient Christ is with me, with you? You know, as Christians we can have this obsession and the obsession is this. What does God want for my life? What does God want me to do? You notice the emphasis there? Me to do? 
Well, let me tell you what God wants you to do. It's based upon the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote to a man called Timothy, a young man, uh, very timid, a nervous disposition. And the Apostle Paul says to him this. He says, take heed of yourself and your doctrine. That's the will of God for all of us. Take heed. Be careful how you live your life. And be careful about your doctrine, your teaching, what you understand. Alright, as Christians we are to believe the right thing and to do the right thing. And this is the exhortation that the Apostle Paul gives Timothy. Now I know about myself, I'm not as careful as I should be. But Christ is patient with me. And sometimes I will go through life and I will learn a lesson. But you know what happens one year, two years, three years, five years down the line? I forget. And I have to learn the lesson again. But Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour, is patient with me. Think of Peter, the Apostle Peter. Lord, I am willing to go with you both to prison and to death. Did he take heed of his life? We all know what happened to Peter. And can't we do the same? Have you, have you sung that hymn? Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. Sing it on a Sunday and fail on a Monday. We all know that experience, don't we? But Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a saviour who is patient with us. Now Jesus remains patient with us. But Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not only one who is patient with his disciples, with ourselves, he's also patient with his enemies. When the Apostle Peter wrote his letter, he said, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When Jesus was at his trial before the Gentiles, before Herod, before the soldiers, they reviled him. They slandered him. They said all kinds of malicious things against him. What did Jesus do? He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. You know, Jesus could have sent and asked for twelve legions of angels for help. To come and destroy his enemies. But he was patient. In fact, Jesus went even further. On the cross, what did he say to those who put him on the cross? Father, forgive them. Now, why was Jesus patient in all that was happening to him? Well, one reason is obviously that he knew the work that he had to do. The other thing is that he trusted explicitly in what God had said. He trusted in knowing that God was the righteous judge. It would be later that Jerusalem would receive its just punishment. Jesus knew that God, his Father, was the righteous judge judge. And later on the city of Jerusalem is ransacked by the Romans. Turned upside down and the Jewish people are scattered throughout the world. 
Jesus knew it was God who was going to deal with these people in his time. Think about David. David was persecuted by Saul. Saul was envious of David. Saul wanted to get David out of the way. He wanted to kill him. David was a man under great persecution, was patient because he knew it was God who was going to be the one to avenge Saul. And again the Apostle Paul tells us and teaches us this very truth. He says in Romans, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus was patient with his enemies. Why? Because he knew it was God who was to avenge. When people revile us, when people slander us, Patience says, God's word tells us not to slander in return. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount tells us exactly the same thing. When somebody slaps you on the cheek, what do you do? Turn the other also. Why is that? Why is it? Why is that God's teaching? Because there's no room in God's word living the Christian life for personal Revenge. In fact, in Romans, the Apostle Paul teaches us it's the government, it's the law, it's the king, it's the authorities who bear the sword. They are ministers, they are God's instruments for justice. Personal revenge, there's no place for, for revenge. The third thing that we are to do with regards to patience is that we as Christians, Christian, God's people, are to demonstrate great patience. Now, that doesn't mean that we sit back and let the world go by, that we're docile and, docile and placid and we have this uh, uh, deck chair on the beach attitude. No, but there's a, there's a meaning to this word, patience. And it can be broken up into two words, patience. Endurance and perseverance. Endurance meaning that we remain constant under pressure. Perseverance meaning that we make progress under pressure. Now where are God's people to demonstrate endurance and patience? Well they're to demonstrate endurance and patience under trials and tribulations. We go through trials and tribulations. Turn in your Bibles to Romans. Romans chapter 5. Listen to what God's, words, God's Word teaches us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. And not only that... But we also, you might have in your translation, rejoice, <coughs> glory. Romans chapter 5, 5 verse 3. But we also glory or rejoice in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or patience. And patience or perseverance, character. And character, hope. So some of you might be going through a very, very severe trial at this moment in time. 
He's crushing you. He's making you to pray harder, to seek God's face more often. It's a difficulty when your mind thinks about that situation. It is perplexing. It's a trial. But notice what the Apostle Paul says here to the believers. And it's all based upon this knowing. Alright? Notice what he says. He says, knowing. A Christian knows something. When we're faced with trials and tribulations, know something. What does the Apostle Paul say? Knowing tribulation produces perseverance. Patience. What's the purpose of the trial, the difficulty, the temptation? It is to produce patience. Your trial, your difficulty is there for a reason. Do you know it's there for a reason? It is to produce patience. Now some of you tomorrow, again, could go down to B&Q and you could buy a, a rhododendron or an azalea. Some of you may not know what a rhododendron or an azalea is. You've got no idea. But to grow a rhododendron or an azalea, some of you know, because you're, uh, you're agreeing with me, you know what it is. If you, went to, if you want to grow a good rhododendron or an azalea, you need a special compost. You need a compost called ericaceous. In other words, it is acidic. In order to have a good rhododendron, and a good azalea that will uh, produce a good flower in the spring, you need an ericaceous compost. How does God form that character, that virtue of perseverance, of endurance, of patience in your life? Well, there needs to be a good medium for it to grow. And what is that medium? It's trials. And tribulations. James wrote to uh, the believers and he said this My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing, again, it's knowing. Christians know. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience. Now, the typical response of Martin Daniels is to grumble and to complain. And to wallow in self-pity. Now it's not wrong to go before God and pray to him and say, I am finding this difficult. I am finding it hard. But it is wrong to go before God and grumble and complain. Know this. Your trial is producing something in you. And it's a work of God. Produce patience. And you, th you, know, you look at the Bible, look at the great saints that we read about. Think of Job. All that he went through. He lost his possessions, his children. His body was a wreck. His wife says, curse God and die. And all his friends says, Job, you're, you've sinned, you've done something terribly wrong. But Job was a man who endured can go on. The list can go on. Joseph, Daniel. There are no shortcuts for how this grace, this fruit is manifested. But why does God want us to have this fruit? 
Why does he want us to possess it? Can I give you one simple answer? Because Jesus did. Living the Christian life, our great desire is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. He endured the cross that was set before him. And we as Christians, that is what God wants to form, what character, what fruit he wants to see. But we're not only to demonstrate great patience, endurance and perseverance in our trials and tribulations, but also in our prayers. You know, when we pray, we'll ask God for a specific uh, request. We'll have something specific that we have uh, in our minds and in our hearts. It's obvious we need an answer. And God answers our prayers with a yes, with the prayer being answered, or with a no. It's deliberate. The door is closed. But God also sometimes in our praying says, wait. Psalm 40, what did the psalmist say? I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Meditate on the psalm and you will see that David was in trouble. He was hedged in. He was in a miry place. He couldn't get out. He was in perplexing circumstances. And when we read the Hebrew, the emphasis in the whole psalm is upon the first two words. Oh, sorry, the second and third word. I waited patiently. I waited patiently. In order for him to be relieved of his trouble and his problem and his perplexity, he had to wait patiently. I waited patiently. How often do we wait? Nervously. Anxiously. You know, you think of Mary and Martha, the request went to Jesus. The one whom you love is dying. He's dead. We're to wait patiently. And finally, Christians are to demonstrate great patience with one another. You know, living in a uh, fellowshipping in a church, being amongst Christians, there are often irritating habits that we have. Have you found that? No, not here. Not here. All right, somebody does something and it's not the way that you would do things. It's not sin. It's just that it annoys you. How they sing, how they conduct themselves, where, where they, what their children do. Uh, well, the list could go on. We know what it's like. It's irritating. And then over time it just gets more and more frustrating. You get more and more irritable about that habit of somebody. Richard hit the nail on the head when he said, put on patience. How do we cope with one another? Well, the Apostle Paul tells the Colossians this. He says... Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Now it's interesting, you know, in that list, the one 
grace, the one virtue that he gives further teaching and explanation to is patience. Because he goes on to say, bearing with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Bearing with one another. So for harmony within a church, within a fellowship, what is it we are to do? We are to put on patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit. God will, because he's a God of grace, God of goodness, you are linked with him, you are united with him, will produce in your life patience. But it's not a passive activity. It is also putting on patience. When you get dressed in the morning, as you're putting on your clothes, put on patience. Put on patience. Now I know we all fall short of the glory of God. We fall short. It is evident in our lives we are not what we should be. And can I appeal to you can I exhort you, just run to the Lord Jesus Christ and he is the forgiver of all your sins. And if you are serious about possessing, possessing patience, there's a road ahead that from this morning you might think, cool, that's going to be difficult. It will involve trials and tribulations, but the blessing is the blessing is the Lord Jesus Christ is with you and he will never ever fail you. And may God bless you as you grow with him and as you know him more. This fruit will become evident in your life. May God bless you and keep you.